Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, good morning again, Covenant. Let me invite you, if you have, if you have your phone here in the worship center or if you are watching us from home, if you could just go ahead and pull that out and share this message. God willing, there's somebody out there that needs some encouragement today, and by His grace, we hope to give it to you. We're in James chapter 3. That's the text that Pastor Jack uh, read to us at the outset of our time together. And uh, while you're turning there, let me uh, just ask you to remember today is the beginning of a month of prayer and fasting. My own will begin tonight at dinner time. Uh, if you want to fast all day, that's between you and the Lord. If you want to fast one meal a day, whatever you may feel led to do, but certainly join us in prayer. You should have already received an email. If you're not on our mailing list, you can find it on our social media pages, those daily guides. Thanks so, so much to Kathy Lyle uh, for helping put that together and for Pastor Dave for making sure that that gets released in a, in a timely manner. We're going to spend the next 30 days with all the things that we have in front of us getting ready to turn a corner for the glory of God. You heard about one really small slice of that this morning uh, with regard to our work in Vietnam, but there's so many other ways that God is on the move and therefore we must be aware that there are so many other ways that our enemy is at work. We're going to spend the next 30 days seeking victory on our knees together. And I look forward to doing that with you. This morning, we begin in week two of a series called Deep Wounds, where two or more sinners are gathered. Eventually, everybody gets hurt. Do you remember that from last week? That is absolutely true. We're going to sting each other from time to time. We're going to offend each other from time to time. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks asking the question, uh, how, do I, how do I overcome this? And particularly when you add to this general truth that's that's really always been true ever since our first parents, the tense environment that all of us have been living under over the last year, this sort of dynamic only gets worse. So how can we bring glory to God by loving each other in a way that gets us through that hurt and keeps us together on the other side of it? How should we react? How can we heal? How can we forgive? How can we repent? What's the role each of us should play. We spent last week talking about the worst of all of those wounds, and that is when someone in a trusted leadership position uses that position or exploits it, rather, for their own purposes, and sometimes that lands on people in very, very hard and hurtful ways. What happens when a leader abuses an individual? Today, we're going to start considering some of the other ways that the body, as the body of Christ, we hurt each other. And we begin that discussion by addressing the words that we use. How many of you as kids used to say this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Some of us have a similar saying today as adults, it's just words, don't be a snowflake. Yeah, does this sound familiar? Here's something we know, all of that is a lie. And if you don't believe that, you're just either in outright denial or you had a very above average childhood. Sticks and stones break bones. Words, well, sometimes they hurt. In elementary school, I, I, I got picked on some because when I was about two, I got this really horrible virus, 
and this is in the early 1970s, and so um, kids, this was before the internet. I mean, this was way back there, and, and so they, they really only knew one way to treat this. It was with something called tetracycline, and they did not know that with tetracycline comes, in later years, a staining of the teeth. It looks like your teeth are unhealthy. Actually, I've got really, well, for a guy my age who chews ice, at least, I've got pretty healthy teeth. Um, but they didn't always look that way. And as a kid, man, it was relentless what some of the other kids did. I got in fights over it. I won most of them. Um, I would just like to say. And, 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 and I would always walk away saying that didn't hurt. But even after beating up a kid who did that to me, I would go home and I would cry. You know why? Because names really do hurt. Words really do hurt. Deep down inside, we know that that, that child's poem really is a child's poem. It, it's just a, a denial of the reality that, that Scripture itself is going to teach us today. The words we speak are powerful. And, and when those words are sinful, they can bring about great destruction. And that, that destruction can take several forms, cursing and lying and insults and dehumanization of another person or in entire groups of people. But the most damaging of all, particularly within the body of Christ, is something that we're going to cover today. It's something that we call gossip. The writer of Proverbs describes it this way in two companion texts. In chapter 16, verse 28, he says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. In chapter 20, verse 19, we read, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. This is the damage of gossip. This is the warning against gossip. So, so what is gossip? Because not everything is gossip, right? Not everything unpleasant is gossip. Not everything even that stings a little bit qualifies as gossip. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Number one, gossip is not direct confrontation or communication. When someone comes to you and says, look, I, I, I've been hearing this, and I just, I'm coming directly to you, they're not perpetuating gossip. They're seeking to put a stop to it. And you should thank God for that when that comes to you. Secondly, gossip is not breaking a sinful confidence. Within the church, we've made confidentiality a sacred cow, haven't we? Like that becomes the thing. It would be like if I had an issue with Pastor Jack who read our scripture this morning and I didn't really want to deal with that directly with Jack because I'm maybe just, I don't know, I'm a coward or whatever. But, but I picked Rick Smith out of the lineup. He's our bassist that was up here on stage today. And, and I take Rick out to lunch and I, I just tell Rick all kinds of trash about Pastor Jack. And then I say at the end, now listen, I just needed to get this off my chest. This is just between you and me. You can't tell anybody. All of a sudden now, I've made him to be the villain. I've shifted the blame from my gossip about a brother I should be directing, directly confronting, and I've put it all on a guy who had nothing to do with anything, and now he's been told if he breaks confidence, he's actually worse than me. Confidence, brothers and sisters, confidentiality is a tool to get to the truth and a way of protecting vulnerable people in very sensitive situations. It is not a shield for cowardice. And we don't treat it that way at Covenant. Listen, you come to me and you share st stories and struggles and things like that, those things will be protected. Absolutely they will be. But the pastors, we talk to each other. 
You, you can't shepherd together if you keep secrets from each other, right? This is, this is a very high value for us, but it's not the highest value. And so for some of you, when you're going through a chain of command at work or you're dealing with things in an appropriate manner, that's not gossip. When you're doing that here, you come to somebody who actually is empowered to do something or to change things for you, that's not gossip. Gossip is to speak negatively with anyone who cannot help solve your problem. In other words, this is the way we define it actually here for our staff. <clears throat> if the person you're speaking with is not empowered to change your situation, listen to me, business owners, you may want to put a policy like this in place. I won't even charge extra for it. You may not discuss that situation with him or her because that results, and our staff will tell you, that results in staff drama. And Pastor Joel, don't do drama, okay? There's enough real-life problems in the world. I do not do drama. I will fire your butt for drama. I will do it because there's just no reason for it, all right? We can handle all this in a good way if the person is not empowered. Now, Here's what that includes. And, and as you look at this list, I want you to consider not just am I doing it, but if something, about, if something like this were being done toward me, would it be something that I, wouldn't, that, that I wouldn't want done? Talking about a person's personal life when he or she is not present. Talking about a person's professional life without his or her supervisor present. Negative, untrue, or disparaging comments or criticisms of another person or group of persons, creating, sharing, or repeating information that can injure a person's credibility or reputation, creating, sharing, or repeating a rumor about another person, creating, sharing, or repeating a rumor that is overheard or hearsay. We catch you doing that on the, on the staff, no matter what, at what level you work, you're going to have a meeting that involves me personally. We're going to coach you in how to do this better in ways that you can make grievances known if you want to make them known. Then you get a final warning because when it happens a second time, you're cleaning out your desk. Because leadership need to model what we expect out of the congregation. You say, isn't that harsh? According to the word of God, no, it's not. And if you've ever been the victim of this kind of thing, you'd understand this. And so, so today is, is part preventative maintenance, part repair instruction, all right? I think for most of us, we're sitting here right now, and it's like, okay, I need to, I need to know what this is. I, know, I need to know how to honor the Lord with what I say, especially about other people. For some of you, there may be some damage already done, and you may be wondering, how do I repair that damage? And if we, were, if we pay attention <clears throat> to Jesus' baby brother James, we can avoid a lot of hurt for ourselves and for others. So, so here's what we're going to do today. We're, number one, we're going to learn the hard truth about our mouths and our tongues. And secondly, we're going to learn how to repair the damage and repent. That involves learning four things about our mouths, uh, that, some of which aren't very pleasant. But it's a truth that can set all of us free. Here's the first one. The mouth is hard to handle. Y'all say amen to that because I know personally. My mouth is hard to handle. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, <clears throat> he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So let's, let's observe what he said here in reverse order. Uh, a perfect man is in control of all of his faculties. His body controls what he eats. He exercises well. He's got perfect BMI. Yeah, wouldn't be me. It's all right, though, because I'm in a room full of people just like me. His mind, he has perfect control over his mind, and he has perfect control over what he says. In fact, James says, if you never stumble in what you say, that's the true test of perfection. You know, back during the gold rush of the 1800s, they had difficulty early on distinguishing between actual gold and something called iron pyrite. They called it fool's gold because it was hard to tell the difference. But they developed through the scientific method this way of telling the difference. They would pour acid on the metal because they had discovered that if it's real gold, it responds very differently to acid than other metals do. So you would pull it out of a mine or you would dig it out of the ground and you would take it to the local prospector's office and they would perform something called an acid test. That's where the, the language comes from to determine whether there's something that's undeniable about the thing. And James tells us here that the acid test of your own sanctification is this area. It's this area. The acid test for perfection is someone who can always govern what he or she says, which just by virtue of that, he's indicted all of us. And he's indicted me. He's all of us have popped off. All of us have said things. There's not, there's not a person in this room, not a person watching me right now, who hasn't said something you wish you could take back, who hasn't posted something you later said, I probably ought to take that down, who hasn't written something and then later just wholly regretted pushing the send button. Boy, it's quiet in here. Is this like really touchy? Like, this is why James opens the chapter the way he does. This section of the letter really isn't about who should teach and who shouldn't. But, but he invokes the teaching office because, as now, it was then a function of primary importance in the church. And the scriptural understanding then, as it is now, is that because of the authority and the influence that comes with that function, those of us who teach will be judged more harshly for our words. We know that. Now, I think about that. That frightens me. I'll speak about 8,000 words in the next, I've already spoken some of them. I'm getting ready to speak more. I apologize. There's more in front of us than behind us, right? Eight to 9,000 words per message. I think about that over 29 years of ministry this coming June, the number of sermons that I've preached, how many hundreds of billions of words that I have spoken that one day I will personally answer to Jesus for. And especially some of those sermons when I was in my 20s, they were bad. Like, it's just no argument there. That was stupid, son. Yes, Lord, that was stupid. Yeah, shouldn't have said that. Certainly shouldn't have said it in that way, right? So, so James is pointing that out, and then he says this to his particular audience. You all have proven yourselves largely impotent to control your tongues to the extent that I'm just going to say it. You really, none of you should very quickly aspire to be teachers. You just need to recognize that. The mouth is hard to handle. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. There may be no stronger evidence 
for our desperate need for the grace of God in our lives than the words we sometimes recklessly speak. That's what he's saying. Because he goes to great lengths to, to illustrate how impossible it is for us to govern this part of ourselves. He says, furthermore, in verses 7 and 8, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Have you thought about that? Mankind has demonstrated our ability to civilize everything. How many Navy veterans we got in the room right now? Just lift your hands. Hold them up so people can see. You see these men and women? You know what they're responsible for? Taming every freaking ocean on the planet. That's what the U.S. Navy has done. Accurate mapping demonstrates we've tamed the land. We have landed people on the moon. We just sent another unmanned spacecraft to Mars, anticipating a day. It probably won't be the government. It'll probably be Elon Musk. But at some point, we're going to send manned missions to Mars. I'm convinced of it if Jesus doesn't return first. So we're in the process of taming space. I know it's difficult. and It's been really hard and really inconvenient. There's been a lot of suffering. But even in the middle of everything we've been made to endure, mankind is taming a virus. And, and all of that is just really evidence of the fact that since the dawn of creation, human beings have been rightfully at the top of the pyramid. That is exactly as the Lord God intended. Human superiority over every other living thing is obvious. And yet even in the middle of that, we can't tame our own mouths. And that's what James is warning us about here. And as a result, it's this part of our body that reveals more than any other the depth of our depravity. Jesus would put it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So the next time you hear somebody go, it's just words, say no, it's also his heart. It is out of the abundance of what is here, what comes out here. And then he says right at the beginning of this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Here we get two complementary sides to this to make application. For those of you who have been hurt, it's hard to handle, isn't it? For those of you who are prone to hurt others, it's hard to handle. So forgiveness of a hurt when someone's said something about you, it comes easier when you realize that even your own mouth is hard to handle. For those prone to hurt others with your words, there's a reason James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak. Repentance comes easier when you realize the mouth is hard to handle. It's hard to handle. But secondly, the mouth is also powerful. James goes on in verse 3, and he says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Small things, again, like the bit in a horse's mouth, like the rudder on a ship, are often what directs bigger things. And this is where we make our mistake. I suspect that the, if anybody listening to me right now, I, I don't always know who I'm talking to, so don't think I'm necessarily aiming at you, but I suspect what I'm about to say is very accurate for a lot of people 
given the environment that we've all lived through in the last year. Some of you have been friends with people for decades that you're no longer speaking to that resulted from an environment with a lot of pain and angst and anger and frustration and exhaustion. Somebody you love, somebody you thought you knew, and they took a position opposite you. And then after, and it happened after you said of anybody who takes that particular position, we'd all be better off if they'd all just leave the country. We'd all be better off without those people. You know where that comes from? It comes from a violent heart that says, you know what, I, really, I'd, I'd love to kill them and hunt them down. Now, I know that I'd go to prison for that, and that's wrong, and I, I shouldn't do that. But I know one thing I can do. I can talk about them. I can talk. Not realize, and then when somebody calls you out on it, it's just words. It's just words. First Amendment. I can say what I want to. They seem innocent enough at first, don't they? But they're more powerful than you think. They direct as a rudder on a ship, overarching attitudes, dispositions toward others, and eventually action. Mein Kampf, brothers and sisters, was just words. But there wouldn't have been a holocaust without it. Would have never happened. There would have never been a Rwandan genocide if the, if the Hutu years prior to 1994 hadn't spent lots of their time dehumanizing the opposing Tutsi tribe with their words. Words are powerful. And I want you to think about that. Every strained relationship you had in your life and just ask yourself honestly, what words have I spoken that have contributed to that strain? And let me get real personal because I haven't yet. Who in here, who watching me, is no longer speaking to someone else because that someone else called you a snowflake? Who in here has a parent or a grandparent that they're at odds with because someone called someone else a deplorable? Brothers and sisters, we were warned about the very age we live in right now. 2,000 years ago, and we can either play this game the way the world plays it, or we can submit our tongues to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The mouth is powerful. It can be used for good things as well, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. But before, there, before we go there, we got to go where James goes. He digs a little deeper, and he says, furthermore, the mouth is destructive. Verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's a graphic picture. When, when I read it at first, the first picture that came to my mind is one of our favorite places to go, East Tennessee, the East Tennessee mountains. Amy and I, one of our first dates, took her on a day trip up there because we lived in a place that don't get too jealous a two and a half hour drive to Gallenberg some of you are like that's just Vegas for rednecks yeah but we like it and it's pretty it's pretty uh, and, it, and we come back and, and I remember in 2016 a bunch of teens not meaning to do anything malicious just being stupid right? every, every time we have youth in this body and their parents call and they're broken hearted because they did something or they got themselves into trouble. They did something. I'm just like, I, I, 
you know, as a pastor, mom, dad, if you want me to talk to them, I'm glad to, but I need your guidance here. Would it help or hurt if I regale them with things I did? Because I don't have to share that with them. And, and the truth of the matter is, I, I probably should have gotten in more trouble than I actually did. So I'm not blaming these kids. I, they, it would, it would, well, I am blaming them, but, but I also, you, you kind of have to understand, it, just stupid, thoughtless. Do you know what they were doing? Walking through the Smoky Mountains on a dry, windy day, striking matches and throwing them on the ground. What did you think was going to happen? The result, well, you can see it in the pictures popping up here. Carelessness. Carelessness. 10,000 acres that look just like that at the end of this. 2,460 structures destroyed, 190 people injured, 14 dead. Dead. James is here speaking of any of us who might, in a moment of tension, be tempted to just strike a match, pop off, throw it with our own words. And within this, we get two descriptions, we get two results, we get one source. The two descriptions are fire and unrighteousness, okay? Fire, because it can quickly get out of control. Unrighteousness just means disregard for respect for another human being, irreverent, wickedness. There's two results that come from that. The first is impurity and shame in my own life and heart, in myself, in my relationships. The second, if it is allowed to continue, social inflammation, and eventually, if not checked, corrupts the whole of our existence. And because of that wicked nature, that, that description, those results, James says, there's one source from where all this comes, hell. Every bit of this. Every bit of evil speech comes from the pit of hell. Jesus said as much in John 8. He says to the religious leaders of his day, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Murder and deception. They're always cousins, always. It's just words. When you understand what James is saying here, you'll realize that is simply not true. That's just not true. Words are destructive. Number four, our mouth is revealing. Verse nine, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or, or a grapevine produce figs? Can, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know what he's describing here? It's what the Bible in other places calls hypocrisy. He's saying it is both hypocrisy and foolishness to think you can truly bless God and simultaneously curse someone who's made in God's image. And the danger here for Christians is we can become very skilled in religious vocabulary. I wasn't gossiping, I was sharing a prayer concern. We feel good when we're, we get, then we get home, we get behind a keyboard, we get to work around the water cooler, we become a totally different person. But here's, here's the good news, we can do better. This is the contrast here. You can bless God. You can also bless the other person. When, when we offer our tongues on the altar to the Lord, we don't surrender the power. 
That power just gets baptized into something positive. We're not talking about, this isn't, this isn't a message that ends with telling everybody to shut up. This is a message in which we're being instructed on how to communicate in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you offer your tongue on the altar, it doesn't lose its power. It gets more powerful. And it develops something good. But there's few passages in the Bible that are so graphically relentless in making a point. And James' ultimate point here is my speech reveals my true nature. Olive trees don't produce figs, do they? You can't get fresh water out of the Atlantic Ocean. And a tongue that is constantly destructive is not connected to a soul that is dominated by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. Which is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves, this is a test, to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Those are words written six years after this letter from James. James is informing us of what that acid test is. What does it consist of? To a large extent, it examines what comes out of my mouth. And that's precisely why he warns us from the beginning. Be quick to hear. Be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. So let me apply this on both sides. What, what if you've been the victim of a wicked tongue? See, that nobody in here, including me, is exempt from that. We're all, we've all been guilty of popping off, saying things we shouldn't, sending messages we shouldn't, every one of us, okay? I'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to do this. I'm hoping to heal some hurt today. There's, a, there's, there's also probably not a person in front of me that hadn't been a victim of a wicked tongue. See, those statements about my teeth were wicked. They're nothing compared to some of the online bullying and harassment to the point of driving some young men and women to suicide these days. We've all, to some degree or another, been a victim of something like this. If you're a follower of Jesus, take the following directives. Number one, mind your own words. You can't control what that other person did, but you can control And under the lordship of Jesus, you are mandated, as am I, to control how you respond. And you need to ask this, is my response going to contribute to healing or to further wounding? We're told in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number two. Identify gossip, slander, harsh words, and put a stop to it. That's everybody's responsibility, all right? And so before you indulge in something, just ask, number one, what's the point of this conversation? And number two, is this conversation going to fix anything? Brothers and sisters, if words by themselves would fix the world's problems, I'd spend 9, 10, 12 hours a day at the barbershop. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. All those guys in there from my age and younger and on up, we know how to solve the world's problems. We know how to do it. 
Is it going to fix anything? Take it to a higher authority. Bring the other person into the conversation. Bring the other person. This is Proverbs 18.8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So it, it, It's tempting to do the juicy thing. It feels cathartic to talk about your pain with someone who can't do anything about it. Feels, feels, just feels good to be able to get it out. Proverbs 11.9, with his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. So identify, guys, so put a stop to it. And number three, choose prayer rather than gossip. Here's what we do tell our staff here positively. It is never gossip if it's a communication that's going up the chain of command. Never. If it's your direct supervisor, if it's, your, if it's the executive pastor's office, if it's me, and if you perceive that the issue is me, it can go above me. There's five men here. Non-staff pastors, elders, five of them that would get in a room with me if necessary. We're all accountable here. Two of those men meet with me on a semi-annual basis. They're basically the administrative committee for the senior pastor, the lead pastor. They do my annual review. They set my salary. That's how it works. You go to them about me, that's not gossip. That's not gossip. This isn't about trying to cover anything up, trying to address. What it's about is how do we communicate in such a way that as the body of Christ, we both produce a healthy way of dealing with conflict and simultaneously we model for a culture that is in dire need of some healthy ways of handling conflict. Why do I say that? Well, Because it's not gossip if it goes up the chain of command. There's no higher in the chain of command than God. Take it to him. You can tell him anything. He's as high as it gets. Pray. Pray. What's the difference between righteous speech and unrighteous speech? Because there may be some people here going, oh, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, Pastor, there's real issues out there. Yeah, there are. There's, there's legitimate disagreement. There absolutely is. Is James just telling us to be mushy? Is James telling us to avoid all disagreement? Yeah, yeah. if that's your conclusion, you're, you're internalizing this just a little bit too much and not actually reading the text. Go back to this letter and read it in its entirety and look me in the eye and tell me you think James is being mushy. Do you re- Does James really strike you? as the kind of guy to say, all right, guys, the answer is let's just all get together around a fire and let's hold hands after we've all self-identified and then let's just sing Kumbaya while we sniff essential oils together. Okay? That... James doesn't strike me as that kind of a guy. And James, by the way, writes his letter. You know what it's based in? I mean, anchored so deeply in, you can't even pull it out the Proverbs, the wisdom literature. So, so listen to this, this final word from Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Not only is this not instruction that says just go along to get along. That's not what it says. 
It also says, look, a true friend is not somebody that just tells you everything you always want to hear, gives you whatever you want, always likes your crap on Facebook, even if it's complete and total crap. A true friend won't do those kinds of things. A true friend will say hard things to you for your own good. That one that's always kissing up, always affirming, always enabling you to see somebody else is the problem, they're not your friend. They're an enemy. They're an enemy. They're making you worse. But here's what James is saying. It matters how these conversations happen. And we've experienced that. Again, deep wounds can be inflicted deeply from words. When you gossip, when you slander, when you spread falsehoods, when you generalize, when you dehumanize, when you repeat what you heard. I have a pastor friend of mine. He's retired now. He's in his 70s. But every time I would sit in his office, I would be humored by a placard right at the front of his desk. Didn't say Pastor Gary Glanville, didn't, didn't identify him at all, but it was right there. You sit down across from his desk to, to counsel with him or to come to him with a problem, you know what that plaque said? Don't tell me what somebody else said. I think he'd been doing this a while. Let's, let's have a conversation. Let's have it the right way. It matters how when you do those things, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it in a way that leads to destruction. And what James is telling us here is there's a better way. And Paul, in Romans 14, is going to describe that way for us next week. Because how many of you have ever felt just judged by somebody else? Out of something like, like, I haven't even found that in the Bible. Like, yeah. But I feel like somebody's coming down on me because I do this or because I say that or because I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places where disagreement is simply that. It's just disagreement and we agree to disagree, and Romans 14 is going to tell us how to do that really well, how to do that in a way that acts in deference to each other, in a way that avoids some of these deep wounds. That's what we're going to look at next week. But today, here's my challenge. From the word of the Lord, let's begin by committing to be better with our words toward each other. Let's commit to be forgiving of those who have wounded us. Let's commit to be repentant if we have wounded others. Let's learn to use some very, very powerful phrases that can bring healing, that can bring unity. They're not easy to say. Words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I love you, forgive me. I love you more than I love what you think of me. How do we have these conversations? Let's, let's begin making that commitment today. You, you may need to pick up the phone and call somebody this afternoon. And you're like, Pastor, I haven't talked with this person in a year because we got crossways with one another. And like, you know, oh, how long have you been friends? Well, I don't know, 10 years, 30 years, five years. Really? Really? Look, the last year's been hard on all of us. You really going to let that destroy what you had before all of this this year's been nonsense amen i mean just nonsense don't let nonsense destroy that relationship come to jesus submit your mouth on the altar go seek forgiveness go seek repentance go and find healing from the wounds that are deep let's pray together heavenly father 
We thank you for the hard words of Jesus' bold baby brother. Lord, may we learn that there is a better way to converse. So many of us grew up in churches that, that taught us well that Christians speak differently than non-Christians, but the sum total of that sometimes an application was just don't cuss. And Lord, we know better than that. We know that the whole course of what comes out of our mouths is subjected to your Lordship. And so in the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that healing would begin. Lord, for those who need to repent, that that would happen toward the other person, for those who need to forgive the offense and embrace. And Father, that better ways of conversing, Lord, we get into that next week. What happens, Lord? In, in, in the first century, it was about meat sacrificed to idols. Today, it's about any number of other things. But Father, may we learn to see the humanity in the other person. May we learn to love. May we learn to remember that anthropology, according to the Bible, is that we only have one enemy and everyone else is someone you died to save. May we treat them that way. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.